welcome back to the Full Circle Podcast. Today we're kicking off season four, which is a little surreal, but also really exciting. Last season we explored the theme of love and had some fantastic guests that joined me. And I can't wait to start the next season of the podcast off with more fascinating people who will be sharing their stories of coming home. Now, as we delve into season four, I'm excited to let you know that we'll be focusing our conversation on the theme of discovery. Life is all about discovery, discovering yourself, discovering new ways of thinking or discovering a new way to live your life. I believe that our purpose in life is to discover who we really are deep at our core and connect with our inner selves. And so to start off this season, I'm joined by a wonderful guy named David Ditchfield. David has one of the most unbelievable experiences, the kind that you only read about in books and see in movies. He's a gifted composer and artist, but it hasn't always been this way. In 2006, he was dragged under a speeding train in a freak accident. And as the surgeons fought to save him, he had a profound near-death experience. When he woke up in hospital, he had acquired astonishing new abilities. He found he could paint dramatic paintings of what he'd seen in the afterlife, far beyond any artistic ability he'd had before. He then discovered he could compose classical music, having never received any training. To this day, he cannot read or write a single note of musical notation, and yet his debut symphony was premiered as a sellout orchestral concert to a standing ovation. I'm happy to have David join me today to discuss his near-death experience and what he's learned about himself since his accident. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome, David, to the conversation. I'm delighted to have you here today. How are you? Oh, thank you, Gillian. It's been it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Good, good. So we have got a definitely very interesting conversation ahead of us. But before we kick into more of the conversation, do you want to just kind of tell our listeners a little bit more about what you currently do? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I'm mainly, I'm, I'm quite creative. So at the moment, I'm uh, an artist. I paint, I paint lots of large canvases, but I also write music. I write music for orchestra. Um, so, so that's pretty much Amazing. taken up most of my time. Yeah. So yeah, um, but uh, it's, it's been it's been a, it's a different life change for me. Basically, you know, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't doing this before in my life. You know, for a long time, I was I was struggling because I had actually left school without qualifications uh, or very little anyhow. So, like a lot of us in that in that situation, it's very hard to get by. And I was pick, I was mainly picking up manual labouring work and stuff, and working on construction sites and stuff. Um, but um, I had quite a big happening in my life that was that changed all that around. It turned it around, and uh, and I'm now in a situation where I feel that I'm finally comfortable in my own skin, as it were, you know, by creating whatever I am and uh, enjoying it. Yeah. So as you said, that wasn't necessarily always the case in terms of you being as creative as you are now. But can we maybe can I take you back a little bit? Because I think was it 2006 when you had your accident. Mm-hmm. 
That's right, yeah. I had an accident. Yeah, it was a freak accident. I was seeing a friend off at a rail station and uh, I was saying goodbye, helping her on onto the to the train with, with her bags and stuff. And as we said goodbye, I gave her a hug and everything. And, and my coat got trapped in the automatic closing doors just as the train was about to leave. Now, I couldn't pull it free. It was a thick sort of three-quarter length sheepskin and it was just in there and it wasn't going to come out. I tried everything, you know, I, I yelled at the top of my voice, you know, there was no guard on the platform and, and I just thought, this is it. I actually figured that I was going to die because I knew I'd got no way of escaping. So the train engines revved up and, uh, you know, the feeling that went through me was, wow, you know, this, I can't believe that my life is about to finish at this point, which I believed it would. Um, the train edged out of the station at great speed. You don't realise how fast they actually go until you're attached to the outside of one. And uh, I lost my footing and I got dragged along the platform edge and then got pulled between the space of the speeding train and the platform. And I just remember going down. I remember seeing the sides of the carriage door almost, it's like they disappeared into the sky. And then I went from all that into complete darkness and I was just thrown around relentlessly. And uh, I was still alive. I was conscious throughout the whole ordeal, you know, and it was very terrifying. It was like being thrown into a washing machine at full spin, but it was very violent at the same time and very painful. Then I suddenly found myself thrown in between the tracks as the train was still continuing on. It was a very long train going down to London. And uh, I just kept my head right down into the gravel because I knew it wasn't all over yet. And I just hoped for the best. And of course, the train did carry on. And there I was, yeah, lying there in in complete agony and in, in total disbelief that I was alive. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I know it's, it is unbelievable. And in fact, the, the UK rail police did a, a massive inquiry on it because something like that, they have to, you know, not just for my sake, Absolutely. but for the sake of everyone's safety, you know, and, um, it took them a year to do the inquiry. And I remember at the end of the inquiry, the head of the rail police turned around to me and he said, uh, well, we finished David and uh, you'll be glad to know. I said, yeah. And he said, but do you know what? We're all banging our heads together still saying, you should not be with us. You should not be alive. You should not have survived it. We measured everything up. I don't know how you have survived. And I just said, well, something far greater than me, than all of us, was in play that day and, and saved my life. But of course, he didn't know what I was talking about. I went, okay. <laughs> and, uh, next thing I knew, anyway, but anyway, I, was, I didn't actually go through uh, what was about to happen until I got into hospital you know the they I remember they got me into the back of an ambulance and I and the, the, I remember the doctor said to me look there's a hospital just around the corner that's how we got here so quick but the one that's really going to save you which is Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge is is the one that's we need to get to can you hang on I said yeah so it was a 25 minute drive but we sped down the highway at full speed you know with a siren blaring and I remember arriving in the hospital, there was a whole team of medics all waiting there, you know, and they got to work on me. And I was still scared because I thought, it's not over yet, because they sounded scared. I could hear the fear in their voices, and I didn't even understand what they were talking about. And um, I, my family arrived. I remember they, they, they were there, you know, and it was just all very strange. So they, I thought, how did they hear about this, and how come they're here? But obviously, I was just so pleased to see them. My mother was in tears, you know. And she was crying and she was going... Obviously, I mean, it must have been such a shock for everybody, <laughs> know. you know. Yeah, it was, you know, it was just <laughs> a massive shock, a major shock. And for, for a mother to see, uh, uh, you know, her, her son, you know, going through something like that well, it must have been horrifying. 
so uh, it was pretty much at that point that I, I left I left that pl- that place I was in I left all the agony that was in my body and I, I and I just found that I was somewhere else completely altogether and I gone I remember the contrast was really stark because I'd gone from very bright lights in you know in the hospital it's all kind of like fluorescent strip the uh, the noise was very loud and suddenly suddenly I was in this peaceful darkened space and it wasn't a foreboding darkness. It just felt very calming and and uh, lovely. And I I figured, okay, this is it. I did. I didn't survive. I'm dead. I figured I'd passed on to the to to the next phase. And uh, I, I know that some people actually fight it because we, you know I've read obviously about NDEs now and some people who have them when they reach that that place that they want to come back because they've got too much to live for. They've got kids and stuff. You know, yeah. I didn't want to die, but. I was so happy after what I'd been through to be in this calmness that I just went with it. And I looked around me just to try and get my bearings. And uh, and I remember the first thing I noticed was that these pulsating colours of light, like orbs of light, that made me feel very relaxed and calm, you know. And um, mm. I just kind of felt that there was no longer on this hospital trolley, but I was on a, like a huge slate rock. It was like a big, I describe it as being like a medieval altar, you know, it's the only, the best similarly. Mm. And um, and I looked down, I just thought, I, I wanted to check the injuries on my body because my, my left arm had been severed in the accident, which I'd seen uh, that had happened. And, and I looked, but my, there was not even a single scratch or bruise, you know, my whole body was, because uh, I was no longer clothed, I was just covered in this blue sheet, but I could see my arms were fine and my legs were fine. So I just remember lying back onto this slate rock. And as I lay there, I, I looked up and there were like three grids of white light was slowly closing in on me from above. And I thought, wow, what's this? You know, and uh, the light that was coming from the, from the, these grids was just like, it was, it was like a pure white light that was so intense and so bright that normally with a human eye, you wouldn't be able to look into it. But in this sphere, mm-hmm. I could. And I kept looking into this light and I felt that a healing energy was coming from, from this light. And um, then I just thought, wow, this is just so beautiful, you know. And uh, I remember just lying there bathing in this, in this energy because uh, it was an energy coming from the light. And then I suddenly felt the presence of somebody had arrived at the scene, as it were. So I lifted my head and there was, just at the, at the foot of me was... Um, this uh, person, neither male nor female, just stood there with this pure white blonde hair and the skin that was radiating light that was glowing from within. And this person, uh, this androgynous being, just smiled at me with a knowing smile. And I thought, and I actually said, I know you, don't I? Where do I know you from? I just knew this face and I, I couldn't picture where from. And he or she just kept smiling back, you know. And uh, But I felt safe, like I was being guarded. And uh, so I decided just to uh, put my trust in this person and lay my head back. And uh, Then a bit further on, I felt the presence of more people had arrived and I was correct on this. I, I opened my eyes and to either side of me, there were two female forms, you know, who was again radiating light. But the light this time was coming from their hands. And um, it was like... It's like they were they were healing me. There was it was almost like a form of of, of Reiki healing, you know, because uh, when it, it was just like the hands were just kind of just slowly going over the, my body, and I felt this energy coming from their hands, which was so powerful, but it was so beautiful, and and I knew that they were healing my body and all the wounds that my body had just been 
through and shaken through and everything. But I also felt that they were healing deeper into me. I felt that they were healing all the emotional wounds that I'd carried throughout my life that we all do, you know, we call it baggage, don't we? You know, and it was like, it was like all the, all those layers of baggage was being taken off me bit by bit. And they were getting down to the pure essence of my soul. And it was just like a tremendous feeling. And I'd never felt like this in my whole life, you know, because as I say, it, life had been a struggle for me, uh, not fitting in anywhere. Um, and suddenly I felt complete. I just suddenly felt like I was okay, like I was a good person because I, I carried a lot of guilt as well and a lot of shame. You know, I always felt that I was a failure. And in this realm, I didn't feel any of that at all. And it was a, it was a, a wonderful feeling of relief, yeah. God, how beautiful. You describe it so beautifully. And so obviously when you moved into this, space that you was in this realm there, there was no pain or anything like that it just felt completely different yes exactly yeah there was no sensation of pain in fact there was no negative uh, sensations whatsoever everything that was there was totally positive you know because there was wow. a, there was a sense of feeling because as the, these two female forms were healing me with their hands over my body I could feel a positive energy coming from their hands and it was almost like every single molecule in my body was, was vibrating with with love it yeah. felt like love was coming from them an unconditional love you know and uh yeah wow. so it was a tremendous feeling yeah i mean obviously because you were conscious you had consciousness you might not have been conscious but you had consciousness in terms of your yeah your kind of what you was experiencing which is absolutely fascinating so tell me what happened after that well what happened after that I, I started to think about my family because as you said quite rightly you know it was an it was an awful thing for my mother and my whole family to have to face and and I kind of figured well if this I by now I was con- totally confirmed in my mind that I that i I was passed on and I thought they're going to be very distraught they were distraught as it was so they're going to be stood around mm-hmm. me now and I would have died you know in their eyes so I just leant over this huge rock hoping to, to see them down in the hospital that was just like the logical conclusion to me to do that and I did look over the edge and I couldn't see them I couldn't see the hospital I couldn't see anything down there. But what I did see was this tremendous view. It was just like I was now looking down into like a huge waterfall of stars. It was like really like an awesome sight. When I say awesome, it's because it was as huge as looking at something the size of Niagara Falls. And the amount of, instead of tons of water cascading over the edge, it was like it was like millions of stars sparkling and cascading over the edge. It was just oh it was tremendous and I just knew at this point that I was in the universe itself I felt very much a part of the universe Mm -hmm. I thought wow and I remember looking down to see what I could see and I just remember seeing from one galaxy into another and the more that my eyes adjusted uh, the more colors were starting to come through or or nebulas and all sorts of beautiful visions and uh, yeah so I lifted my head back over and there you go it's interesting because normally I would have been feeling really again guilt would have been thinking oh my goodness you know my mum she's going to be so upset but I didn't actually feel all that I actually thought I remember saying to myself oh well I'm I'm going to be seeing them maybe you know when they step over here and if I don't they're going to be experiencing all this beauty anyhow and it just didn't matter you know it didn't no it didn't that's wrong to say it didn't matter but it didn't matter to me in the same way 
irrational feelings would have done before you know there's no there was no irrational feelings in this in this um, sphere you mentioned before that you said that when you were you know before this accident that you'd had in this near-death experience that you didn't have a sense of belonging that you didn't feel that you belonged and that you felt a bit like a failure and a bit guilty in terms of can you share just a little bit more about that because it feels so contrasting doesn't it so bipolar in many in many ways (laughs) it certainly does and uh I know a lot, as I say, it's not a poor me story because I know there's a lot of people feel that have been going, gone through life and felt all those emotions as well that it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of us to fit in. Um, and I, I, yeah, I basically, because really, I, I, like when I said I was picking up the manual labouring work, that's the only kind of work I could get. And I discovered that I was no good at that and I didn't even fit into that world, you know. I mean, they used to joke about me and call me speedy because I was just so slow at the job, you know, um, which was, you know, they were lovely guys. And in fact, I've got total respect for all people who, who do all this con- kind of construction work because they're real, they're, they're skilled. They are skilled at what they're doing. And uh, I just couldn't fit into that. And so as much as we laughed about it, me being like that, it was still me just going home each day thinking like, I don't fit in anywhere. In fact, I'd, I'd moved to London. I hoped that that would sort of change everything, you know, because I just like a lot of us, you just kind of think well, that's the land of hope and dreams or whatever, you know. And, uh, and in a sense, it made it worse. I loved living in London, but I was surrounding myself with people who were successful working in the, the music industry and stuff like that. And I just wanted to be part of that world. And I, and I wasn't getting in there either. So it was almost like having a mirror up to my face saying, you're a failure, David. You, you'll never get in, into our world. You'll never enter this bubble. So, yeah, so it was a struggle find, trying to discover. And I think that I was aspiring to people as well, which, which, was, which was kind of like didn't work for me because, the, you know, I, know na- I now know that the more you do that, trying to be like somebody else or trying to fit into something that's not authentically you is is going to end up in failure and uh, so yeah that's how it was <laughs> it sounds from how you described your, your you know your previous life that perhaps there was conflict there and I certainly and that's what my book's about actually is about being feeling like an outsider for most of my life and so I, I although you we've had different experiences I can imagine there's been some similarities in in how that shows up and that comparing and contrasting and wanting to fit in and a not sense of belonging it's really hard actually to live a lot of your life feeling like that so when you were in this other place Mm -hmm. this place where you described it as pure love being part of the universe it was beautiful Mm -hmm. did you feel belonging there yes i I felt like i totally belong there you know i felt and i still do feel like i'm very much a part of the universe and i feel we all are but we just don't know it we don't think about mm-hmm. it you know, we don't ex- you know the animal kingdom yeah. does the animal kingdom accepts that it's part of the universe and goes with all the seasons you know like where i live now you know we've got all these geese that migrate every year and land at the same place on the meadow at the window and then they they, they start you know having chicks and stuff and and, and they're following the, the the laws of the universe or whatever but we've we've kind of like almost forgotten that because you know, we've kind of developed as, as mankind and stuff. But I felt, yeah, I, very, I felt very much a part of that, that space. But also one of the most profound moments that happened to me in that experience was um, you, most people who've had an NDE will, or nearly everyone will say that they saw the tunnel of white light. And and I did. And, but, and when I saw that tunnel of white light, it was just, it was most profound because you go back to some, asking me about feelings the feeling i felt i felt it before i saw the, the tunnel i uh, felt that 
Mm-hmm. Wow, this energy of love had just been turned up like a huge dial. You know, I thought, wow, this is a, this is amazing. What's happening? And I looked, and there was this tunnel of white light that was just slowly coming in towards me from behind the the head of this being that was watching over me. And it was like it was surrounded by flames that were slowly rotating around. And, and normally, you know, it would be something that would be quite terrifying because you don't know what it is. But in again, in this realm, I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel any of that. I, I just felt awe inspired and. And I knew because there was a lot of telepathy coming through that to me when I was there. And what I was being told was that this was the source of all creation that I was looking at here. This was this was God, not in the God in the usual human form that I always led. You know, mm-hmm. in most religions, there's, there's normally a human attachment, isn't there? Um, but no, this yeah. was it. This huge tunnel of white light, and it was radiating love, unconditional love. That love was very profound. Wow. So do you know how long you was in that place for before you came back out into this world? Yeah, I, I don't actually know, actually. It won't have been as long as it actually felt. Although in saying that, time didn't, didn't exist in this, in this realm. It's like, um, for the, I, I realised that up until that point, I'd spent so much of my life focused on the past and past mistakes and past opportunities I thought I'd missed or focused on the future because I was running out of money, I, was, I wasn't picking up work and I was about to lose my apartment, you know, and I was broke. So I was focused on the future as well. And I was never focused on the present moment, whereas in this space, it was all about the present moment. All the, the past and the future didn't exist. They didn't, they weren't important. Yeah. So, so for me, it's very hard to judge how long I was there. Uh, but in terms of, say, let's say real-time terms for a state of argument, you know, it probably wouldn't have been anywhere near as long as it felt, you know, it probably would have, it could have been seconds, it could have been minutes. I mean, I do know that when I came yeah. back into my body, I was still in the A&E department and they were just about to wheel me through into theatre because they got to operate on me straight away. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you then went through the physical healing process of going through, I'm assuming you had operations and a range of other different things to, yeah. to get your body back into the right shape and form and what happened after that for you when you came through all that well I I decided from right from the off because I was scared at first I was going to forget everything that happened you know and I knew nothing about near-death experiences and I was non-spiritual for for me I just thought how am I going to tell the world about this that this is really big you know so that's when I decided on the very first night when I came through from from the operation that I was going to start painting I just thought I've got to do those big biblical style paintings that you see that the renaissance paintings did you know it's got to be that dramatic so I'd already decided I was going to start painting so once I was well enough to be able to do that that's I started on on the paintings and uh, I started creating uh, what I'd seen, yeah, in the afterlife, and, and and I found that. Did you paint before? No, I didn't. I mean, when I was a child, I was I always enjoyed drawing, you know, and I and I wanted to take it further, but because of my lack of qualifications, I was completely steered away from that. You know, they just said, "Well, you you'd never get into art school uh, because." You, you haven't even got English language, which you need, and all these different qualifications. So they were gearing me up to go straight onto the production line in the factory, you know. And uh, so, yeah, so yeah. I, I'm sure I, I, you know, I would have loved to have taken it further, but I wasn't able to do that. But what I did find that from my near-death experience was that I was being given a crash course into how to paint, how to apply colours onto a canvas and and make skin tones come alive. Yeah, I realised right from the off once I'd started painting that I was actually channeling 
ideas through. I was still connected very strongly to that other realm. And they were giving me ideas on, on how to pull this together. And and I still do everything I do now, you know, when when something comes together and I just I know it's not just me that's done it, I always say, Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is like brilliant, yeah, because yeah. I know that I'm being mm-hmm. helped. And um yeah, so yeah. That's, but it's not just me who's in that position. We're, we're all, we can all do it. We can all channel. You know what I mean? We can all channel in, in ideas yeah. for whatever we're doing in our lives. But since then as well, so as part from doing the painting, and I have seen your paintings and your work and unbelievable, and we'll share your information at the end of our conversation so people can find out more about your work and the work that you do. But But your paintings are beautiful. But alongside that, you also now compose music. You've written a book. So tell us about those two other creative avenues. Well, ultimately, there was a lot of synchronicity started to happen in my life after the NDE. Uh, after I started mm-hmm. painting, I started having spiritual healing. I found out about that because I wanted to track down this spiritualist church to talk about what had happened. And they were really helpful. And they said, mm-hmm. look, you look in a pretty bad way here. We do spiritual healing. And I said, great. So when I started having that, um, I remember one of one or two of them would be clairvoyant and they just give me small messages at the end. Nothing too profound. You know, just say, oh, I could see like, mm-hmm. a, you know, a blue light coming through your heart chakra or what have you. But they started to say, you know, why, why, why I'm hearing music when I'm when I'm healing you. Then one, one of them turned around and said, my guides are telling me, or your guides are telling me, that uh, you're going to start writing a piece of music about your experience. I went, great. So all I got at home was a, 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 an old cheap synthesizer and, and a little tape recorder, cassette recorder. And so I just started working on what I thought would just be a song, you know. I was trying to get this song together, and it wasn't happening at first. And then one day, this chord progression came through that, again, felt like it wasn't me that had created it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's that's really beautiful, you know. So I just started de- developing it. And um, I'd made friends with a, with a cello player in the local orchestra who used to come and see my, my paintings and stuff. And uh, I told her about what I was up to and stuff. And she laughed over coffee one day and said, oh, maybe we could perform it, you know. So oh yeah why not you know so i got it to the state (laughs) i know it's crazy but this is how it became to me that i just nothing was going to stop me you know and uh and um my brother helped me out you know because he said look i've got um, i've got this package it's like a sort of an app that you can apply um to your laptop and then you need a new keyboard but when you play the notes in it will then transpose it into musical notation because you'll need that for the orchestra so that's what i did and i printed off all the parts and met them for coffee and just put it to them and said what do you think and they all sat there and they went this looks good yeah we'll do it (laughs) so they offered they agreed to perform it and um Again, I think I was being helped because my, you know, because I, the, the, you know, they said to me, oh, would you mind talking to the local press a few lines? I said, yeah, of course I did do. And the local press said, hey, you're the guy who went under the train, aren't you? I said, yeah. They said, oh, this is going on the front page. And then it all kind of developed. And then the BBC wanted to come and interview me. And then the concert sold out two weeks in advance. So... It was a tremendous feeling because I, I was more than anything. It wasn't like a sense of ego, like it's all about me. It was more like, great, there's going to be a, 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 a packed audience who are going to get what this experience is about. And um, so, yeah, so kind of, it all sort of, again, it seemed to keep sort of snowballing from there. And then I'd always wanted to write my story, but I'm dyslexic. So I thought that's never going to happen. And then uh, a friend of mine uh, had been, She'd moved up to Scotland and she'd been living up there, up in the Highlands. And um, she got in touch and said, oh, you know, 
when are you going to write your story, you know? And I said, I can't, you know, I'm dyslexic. And so she offered to, um, you know, so co-write it with me. So that's how that came about. And then the book came out and then Dr. Raymond Moody, who actually coined the phrase near-death mm-hmm. experience, uh, got, got hold yeah. of um, a PDF copy of it and read it. And his manager said, Raymond loves it. He thinks it's a great story. And he's, he said he would write an acknowledgement. So that, that's brilliant. And then... Uh, then I got a, an email later that afternoon saying, actually, he wants to write the foreword for it. So I thought, brilliant. And we hadn't even got a, a publisher at that point. You know? But it just felt that it was all going to come together, you know, in the same way. I was being helped to, to guide all these things forward because it was meant to come out. And, uh, yeah, so it's been yeah. incredibly well received. <laughs> I was beyond my dreams and stuff which is great because again it's not like a a, an all about me it's more like getting that story out to as many people as as i can and it's interesting because i've I've done obviously i've watched a few documentaries on near-death experiences and and obviously everybody's story and experience is unique but there are similarities as you've described already to us but i'm curious because you know I, i don't know about you when you look back on this experience is it fair to say that out of all of what happened to you, there's been some amazing things come out of it. And it feels like perhaps there's an opportunity, like you said, to share your story, to share the music. Because I listened to the music this afternoon and I have to be honest, it felt very healing for me when I was listening to it. And I know I've read comments where people have said they've been brought to tears by the music and the experience. And I just think it's, you know, this. I think there's something quite significant and meaningful in all of that in terms of that maybe this is what you was meant to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Because one of the first questions when I came back when I was in that hospital was why, why have they sent me back and what is my mission? I just yeah. felt that I got a mission and stuff. Yeah. First of all, I thought I was going to be a healer and I was going to be healing other people. But as time went on, I realised that no, I'm actually going to be you know um, telling my story through creativity and through different dimensions. You know, so first of all, the painting, then the music, and then the book. And then interviews. So it's great because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I bought your book and read it. And I was listening to your music at the same time. And then it all kind of, it gave like a different dimension to it all. And it all made sense. So, so yeah. So, I mean, everyone who has an NDE feels that the, there's, a, there's a sense of purpose why, why they've had it and why they've come back. And so, yeah, it's, and, and it's, you always find what it is. You, you find your true authentic voice, what it is it's supposed to be. Uh, go, you know, your, how you, whatever your vehicle is, yeah. So, if I was to ask you now, what is your purpose? What would you say? Could you describe that? Well, my purpose is um, obviously the, the the first one is is to um, try and to help people because we don't talk about death at all in Western civilization. You know, I'm not saying we should be chatting about it all the time, but you know, we we plan everything else in our lives, don't we? You know, whether it's marriage, birth, even even driving. Yeah tests and stuff we don't plan death and i think it's good just to try and look at it and take away some element of fear that it's not the end you know that the, you know that the soul is too great an entity just to suddenly switch off and that the what awaits us all is really quite beautiful and i think it doesn't know any help us us with the, um, our fear of death but it also helps us when our loved ones are passed you know i lost both my parents yeah. in the last few years and it helped me in a great deal just to know where they were. obviously I, I you know I was pained for, by, by their physical loss but I knew where they were going and, and it's a great but beyond all that it's just uh, it's it's to, it's to sort of try and get away this as I said there's many many people who have written to me and said look I'm, my life was like yours or still is you know that I feel like um, I don't fit in and it's a struggle 
and and it's it, it I, I try to say that you don't have to have a, a train accident and a near-death experience to actually find your true authentic self you can find it within you and we've all got it there all of us you know and once you find that inner authentic self that true voice your life tends to sort of make sense and doors will slowly open for you and automatically and you mentioned that word before synchronicity thank you for sharing that because i think that's something that's happened to me over the years yes i didn't have an accident like that but i had a big wake-up call about 12 years ago now and it really shook me to the core and i'm not i agree i don't think you have to go through such a a big experience you can take control and to help yourself feel differently and believe a different perspective on who you are and what you're about but that does take courage and sometimes needs a bit of guidance doesn't it because I think when you are lost it is difficult sometimes to navigate your way through finding that true voice and really coming back home to your true self but you did mention the word synchronicity and and I think I would agree with that from my experience and what I've seen with my clients over the years as well is that when there is that alignment when things for whatever reason just start to fall into place doors do open, opportunities start to present themselves. And you just, I don't know about you, but it feels from what you're saying is is you're much more present. You're in the moment. You're going more with the flow rather than fighting against everything. You're just kind of allowing things more to open up and the possibilities to be, you know, kind of to happen. Is that fair to say from your experience as well? Yeah, it's really well um, described. You know, for me, it, it, it's all about not trying to push anything, not try to rush anything as well. You know, yeah. it's almost like I use this, you know, the analogy of, of, of like being in a car, you know, it's like, for example, mm-hmm. you know, if you, the, the other day I was, I was late getting somewhere and I, I was at a roundabout and, and I almost put my foot on, on the gas and, and just went off quick as a car was coming. And I thought, no, wait, mm-hmm. if, if I'd done that, I could have had a crash. We could have hit each other. Even if it had only been a bump, it would have definitely held me up for about another 20 minutes because I would have had to have exchanged phone numbers and all that. And I just think that's the way I try to look at it, that just if you just take your time and just let it go and then and it will all fall into place, you know. Um, you know and I think that's been happening to us uh, throughout the whole world, you know, since for the last two years and is continuing now. We've never known anything in our lifetime like this you know it's it's remarkable when you think about it what we've been through already so far you know with the pandemic and, and yeah. we've come together we've dealt with that and I think there was there was a lot of lessons to have been learned from that I figure you know and I felt so at mm-hmm. first anyway I felt when when we had the first lockdown that um it, I thought it was great how everybody because they couldn't go to work anymore everyone was suddenly getting in touch with nature everyone was suddenly slowing down yeah. everyone was like saying, hey, I'm baking cakes and bread for the first time in my life. Hey, I'm teaching my kids and loving yeah. it. You know, all those different things. You know, it's because we've just, we've just forgotten that, that we are, we're part of the animal kingdom and, and we can just enjoy nature and be part of it, you know. Absolutely. I completely agree with you there. And I think lockdown for me in particular, it did allowed me to slow down. And as you said, I think that sense of slowing down and just pausing and being maybe more mindful about what we're doing and and enjoying the present moment I think is something that I've learned from that whole experience now tell me as we're just talking there around lessons learned what have you learned throughout this whole process this unbelievable and remarkable experience that you've had basically what I've learned is that I didn't have before I never realized it was um, self-love you know and the importance of that self-love that's what was given in that realm and once you find that self-love and you give yourself a break you suddenly then you find self-worth then you start to believe in yourself then you stop 
as I said earlier, trying to aspire to be like other people and thinking, oh, he's really cool. I want to be like him. You know, you just think, no, I'm really cool. You know, I'm okay, you know, and that self-love and that Mm self-worth all starts to come together. And then you'll find, again, this is the law of attraction, you know, that the energies will come to you because you're radiating self-love and self-worth. Yeah, I think that's an unbelievable lesson. I think it's it's very difficult, isn't it, for human beings to actually accept and to appreciate and love themselves. I think it takes us a long time to maybe get to that point. And I think when we can, I think you're absolutely right. Because I think what happens is, is you, like you said, you attract a different kind of energy because your vibration is higher. It's different than perhaps what it was when you, when you don't self-love versus when you do self-love. And we don't realise just how much yeah. we're carrying with us. We're carrying stuff that's not yeah. just personal baggage of our own lives. And we're carrying, you know, the history of our, of our ancestors and stuff like that. All that's on our shoulders as well. So it's very hard yeah. to sort of try and find a true identity if you're carrying all that stuff around which doesn't belong to us anymore you know it's all in the past now it's like mm-hmm. the past does exist but it's somewhere out there in the cosmos you know it's not here in the here and now so you know the the other great lesson as well is to be aware that the present moment is the most important one because when i was in that realm mm-hmm. as i say the present moment was all that existed and i realized how important that felt and i i think it's, it's, it's you've got to carry that on into into your life now you know just to just to make sense of things you know it's just because yeah. we've been faced with so much adversity and we still are you know it's still coming at us and uh, but i just feel that you know we have to be careful of the of the whole knee-jerk response which which again is something that leads us nowhere just you know i mean it's just like fear of the unknown fear led by the media you know I, I watch the news of what's going on at the moment but i limit it i don't i only watch a small amount just to get a grasp of what's going on because the media has become so fed on hysteria now and they don't even realize they're doing it themselves you know and it's just like wow you know let's let's calm down we're creating a story here and let's not jump the gun just yet you know let's just see and 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 also realize that out of all adversity there's always there is always love love always wins over if love if love um didn't win over we, we wouldn't be here now as a human race it would have it would have ended you know centuries ago but it does love and uh tends, tends to sort of win over in the end yeah it's interesting because obviously you've written your book and, and when i've been writing my book i was comparing something to you know sense of that you know in any movie there's always a baddie and there's a goodie right you know the, and there's the, the baddie brings fear but the goodie brings love you know the and and there's always this dynamic isn't there in terms of the the arc of the story and that's something that's always stuck with me is that love always conquers fear and I think you're right I think if we spend time in that place of fear of what if fear of not knowing fear of will I you know if I do this what will happen rather than just being you know going with that flow and and it sounds Mm -hmm. to me like you've really surrendered to the moment and that surrendering word is being used quite a lot, certainly in my um, arena of work in, in coaching and, and meditation and so forth. But I do think it's something that more and more people are becoming aware of. So I'm curious around what advice, obviously, you've had this experience, you're doing amazing work in terms of your creativity, you're sharing that with the world. But what advice would you give to people who are maybe in a bit of a funk, not feeling great at the moment, or just kind of not sure about the direction of travel they're going in. What advice would you give to those people? As I say, the starting point is starting to love yourself, you know, and and, and don't blame yourself. Because when you're in that state, when you're in that 
when I was just before my accident, I I was really at rock bottom. I started to drink heavily and to, to try and kind of smooth over the cracks. But I just think, uh, looking back on it now, it's, I think it, instead of doing that, I wish that I'd actually faced the adversities because they were there. They were really heavy. The adversities in my life, my life was going so badly, and I was thought, I'm losing my home. I'm losing everything. You know, but. I would also say, try if if you're in that state, if if life is going that terribly wrong for you, actually don't try and say, right, I want to get out of this now. I've got to get rid of this. I've got to move on and fix this. Actually, absorb it. Let it come in. in embrace it if you like, because it's there. Embrace that negativity. Embrace that um, that challenge, and and let it come into your life, and 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 it will slowly move on of, of its own accord, and you will slowly evolve from this you know and you will rise from it at your own pace and it will all it will it will happen you know and just have have that faith to try and go with it as it were don't try and fix it you know don't try and fix it i mean before you know my life was just like a linear experience you know and as you say that you've got to have the good good times and the bad times the the good guys and the bad guys that is life that's never going to go away life is never suddenly going to reach this plateau where it is just love it won't you know even though the love always does win over life is like a pendulum that keeps swinging backwards and forwards yeah. and that's that's what it is that's the order of the world that's yeah. the order of life and it's interesting thank you for sharing that because you know we, we can kind of go into that survival mode but I think for me there's something about if you can try to take the opportunity to learn from the lesson that you're being taught or guided to learn about. Because I think as you come through those moments of adversity, in all of those moments of weakness and vulnerability and all of those feelings that one might feel, on the other side of that comes strength, awareness, appreciation, love, as you've described, and a whole other host of feelings and emotions and experiences that are going to help us continue to grow and evolve and and I think from when I look at back at my experiences I know I was meant to experience those because if I hadn't have experienced those I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today mm. do you feel the same oh totally yeah it was um yeah. you know a lot of people say to me oh if you could turn the clock back you know going on the train you know what would you do and I said I wouldn't turn the clock back because it was meant to be that was meant to happen I I needed that kind of not a wake-up call but I needed I needed to be shown that that the way I was heading with with my life just wasn't wasn't ever going to work out for me the way I was going and uh, so yeah so it's you know I I do believe in destiny I I believe that basically I our lives are like a roadmap. We've got, it's, it's more like a highway. You know, if you view it as, as your life as being a highway that's in front of you. And I was always trying to take the shortcuts. I was always trying to say, hey, there's a shortcut there. I'm going to take that. That's going to get me to where I'm going a lot quicker. And of course, mm-hmm. I, they never worked out. I'd go down those shortcuts and I'd end up at a dead end. So I've learned now that just to stay on the highway and just just have faith in it. And, and, and even if you see adversity and you think, oh my goodness, you know, like a traffic block ahead of you, it will pass eventually and you will get through yeah. it. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing what you have done. It's been, honestly, it's been enlightening and just a sheer pleasure to hear your story and as I said it's remarkable and very very inspirational so thank you if people want to find out more about the work that you do where can we get hold of you yeah well um I've got loads of social media sites like Instagram and YouTube and and Facebook but I go to my website to start off with which is uh, shineonthestory.com 
And uh, you can hear my symphony, the first debut symphony, uh, for Mm -hmm. free on there. You can stream it. You can look at some of my paintings and stuff and see what's happening. And you can get the links to my social media from there if you you want to follow me to to see what's developing this year. And the book... You can do wherever you are in the world. To be honest with you, you can get it via Amazon. Just go and go onto Amazon, just and just buy it through there. No, 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 no issues. Yeah. So before we leave, then any other passing words of wisdom to our audience, just before you head off? Oh, um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Sorry, I put you. I put you on the spot there, but I'm just wondering because it's just been such an enlightening conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not at all. You're not putting me on the spot. You know, it's just. Uh, <laughs> I think especially at the moment, you know, there's, there's no getting away from it. You know, the, the world is, you know, we're, 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 a lot of us are gripped in fear as, as to what's going on at the moment. And I just, I just, I know it sounds crazy and easy to sum it all up, wrap it all up, but I'm not. But do have faith, you know, do have faith that um, that we are all loved and that we are all part of the universe. The universe wants us to keep creating and moving on and developing as a human race, as a species. It doesn't want us just to come to some, you know, awful end. So have faith that that this will all come together and we'll, we'll you know, that something... I, I believe that, you know, this next generation of people coming through, I've got so much faith in them. And I do feel that a lot of people want to save the world and they want to make it a livable place. And I, and I think it will happen. That's amazing, David. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful. Wow. What a conversation. David's story and experience has just absolutely blown me away. The acceptance when he was under the train that he may die and then to when he transitioned to the other side and how much clarity he had when he was being healed. The light, the warmth, the waterfall of stars gave me so much comfort and I wonder if you feel the same. We very rarely talk about death. It's quite taboo. We never speak about it with our friends or our family members, our children. But what David's conversation gave me today was great comfort. I always knew and always have believed that we would be welcomed when we transition from this world into the other. And David confirmed that today. And so for me, as I leave this conversation, I'm comforted and I have hope that whomever transitions will always be received and welcomed with love and light. <laughs>